your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to what day is today? Do we know? Wednesday? It's a Wednesday. Lacrosse Talk PM. Grant Bills in in the studio. Rick Solomon quarantine, and uh, so yeah. Yesterday, Grant Grant noted that that's the eye candy if you're watching on Facebook Live. So for those of you that you don't have to look at me and in my shady, shaggy non haircut and uh, yeah. So COVID nineteen update. We could do that. I'm going to talk with Jen Rumbalski, the Lacrosse County Health Director in. What time is it? In five minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes. And just get a little bit. She does her, she, you know, speaks on Facebook Live from the Lacrosse County Health Department every day at 2.30, but they're changing that now to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So she, and she actually took yesterday off. So that was nice. But again, they had an update today. No new cases in Lacrosse County. Um, but we did learn that Winona County had its first death. So that was sad news to hear uh, from complications of COVID-19. And what else we got? I, I saw a couple of posts. <laughs> I saw a weird post from the Mendota Heights Police Department. We can get to that in a little bit if I confirm that it was, in fact, real because it looks really fake, honestly. Like the the, the stuff that they posted uh, I'm not really sure. At least a part of their post looks like it's it, you, you could easily fake this stuff. So I want to kind of confirm before um, before bringing that up at the bottom half of the hour uh, in Wisconsin. Our COVID update. I, I think Drew will probably have these on the news. So I'm going to hold off and see uh, what he has. But I'm going to do. I do have Winona County. Ten. They had their first death, but they have ten total cases. Um, what other counties here? Houston County, where I'm at, no new cases. No cases at all, in fact. Um, so so that's good. Ra- rather rural area, but Houston's a town. So um, I, I will say, like, doing a good job there. Doing a good job of, of keeping the case, cases low. And uh, that's another thing that I'm going to talk with Jen Rabalski about, the Lacrosse County Health Director. But, Grant, how you doing? Are you... Are you uh, are you there? I can't hear you. I'm hanging in there, okay, there today. Are. I actually got a lot of homework done today. Oh, um, excellent. I, I kind of like messed around with it, like sat down and at least opened my computer the last couple of days. But today, actually, I, I made some hay today. Like I worked on a couple different classes. Um, I got a lot done on my senior project that I've been working on, just trying to graduate in a month or so. So today, today was a good day. Made oh, a frozen yeah. pizza. Good stuff. Frozen pizza. Every day is a frozen pizza day, unless you unless you want to go stock up on frozen pizza because Menards all out. Menards secretly the best place to buy Jack's frozen pizzas. By the way, Jack's Jack's that's my go to because they're the cheapest. Like, yeah, I just always, want whatever's cheapest. They're all the same at that point. They're always about two dollars or two fifty at Menards, and then sometimes they're two dollars with eleven percent rebate. Um, all right, so let's let's just go to the news, and then um, I can get Jen on the phone, and we can kind of because her time is pressed. So I want to get get through that interview. So let's go to the news, Drew, and then we'll come back talk with Lacrosse County Health Director Jim Rabalski after this on Wisdom. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone with me now, Lacrosse Community, Lacrosse County Health Director Jen Rabalski. Jen, you just got done with the briefing today. No new cases, which is I think we've had more days of no new cases than we've had of new cases, don't you think? I guess you probably don't have that off the top of your head. Well, we have had a number of days where we haven't had new cases or we only had, you know, one or two. So that's wonderful news. Yeah, and the opposite is kind of happening throughout the state, right? The cases all are gradually rising and sometimes 
sometimes we, we get jumps here and there. Yeah, I feel like today was one of those jumps at the state level. So in the past, it seems like we've been having little over 100 each day that are new cases, new confirmed cases. And today's was uh, an increase of 199. Okay, so I would say, oh, you you mentioned yesterday at the briefing. Well, you were t- you took the day off, right? You took Tuesday off. Is that your first day off in a I couple did. of weeks? It was officially my first day off in a couple of weeks. Yes, oh. it was. Oh, I got ex- to go on a hike with my kids. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. That's uh, yeah. You probably need that. You probably I and I'm, I'm glad to hear today you're only going to Monday, Wednesday, Friday because not that we don't need the updates, but uh, last week Friday when I was doing my show. I was like, you know what? I hope Jen takes the weekend off because we don't need these updates every day. If something happens, we can update. But if nothing happens, then, you know, like we can wait a day. So I kind of I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that you guys are, are going to three days a week, even though that gives less content for me. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. All right. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of community spread. And I, I'll, I'll Google it like every couple of days because I kind of forget the exact definition. But can you explain to people what exactly community spread is when it comes to COVID-19? Sure, I can. So community spread just means that someone who has been uh, has a, a positive lab result of uh, indicating that they are confirmed to have COVID-19, but they don't have a known source. So we can't determine that they were in contact with someone who had positive COVID-19, nor, um, you know, were they in in um, an exposure area where, where we think that they um, were traveling, for example, um, because that is so, like, um, across the whole country, we have so many cases. And in our own county, we've had confirmed cases that we can't find a source. That's when we know that we have community spread. And do we only have, we we have two of those in Wisconsin, in the La Crosse County? We had our first one last week, and I don't know if we've been determining, I don't know that I know of which cases since then are actually community spread versus not, but we can get that. Okay, so, and I thought I saw two at some point, and, and maybe I'll get a text from somebody that says, yes, we have two, but we'll just leave it at, you know, one or two right now in La Crosse County. But, okay, so we have 19 cases. Do you have to go and investigate every one of these cases and try to figure out the origins of it? And I guess what, what goes on once you find a case that, once you find a person that has COVID? Yeah, so what this looks like is we get, uh, so the, the actual lab tests are being done at the health systems, and there's a lab that runs that. So our both of our local health systems at Mayo and Gunderson can do that themselves. Mayo sends theirs to Rochester. They also can utilize the Wisconsin State Lab of Hygiene. So once that lab report comes back into our um, Wisconsin Electronic Disease Surveillance System, we call it WEDS, as soon as that case comes in, we see it and we get on top of contacting that individual. Even if that person is in the hospital at the time the lab result comes in, at the very uh, earliest possible opportunity, we have a conversation with that person. It's not face-to-face. Um, we typically do that in the past, but, of course, with this situation, we don't. So we speak with them on the phone or in whatever means works for them. Typically, it's on the phone. And we go through an, an, a, like a pretty solidly lengthy checklist of questions. Um, so we make sure that that process is similar for every single case that we have. And one of the big parts of what we're asking them, besides what symptoms, when did they start, um, where were you before they started, we ask them about who they may have been in contact with, uh, particularly since the start of symptoms, and we go one or two days before that to determine who might have been exposed. So that's a pretty long process, a long conversation with that individual. Sometimes it takes, um, you know, an hour or even a little longer, and sometimes we have to do it in two, 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 two calls. 
Yeah, I feel like you might even have to get that person's significant other or brother or sister or whoever was around them at that time involved. Because if you ask me where I've been a week and a half ago when a symptom started and who I've been in contact with, I'd be like, I don't remember. <laughs> so I, yeah, I imagine really, you get that answer. It really answer goes back to there are like some good tips that we use because we do this kind of work all the time. So we, we tell them, you know, look at the calendar, look at like, you know, what was on your agenda, talk to your spouse, talk to your kids. Um, you know, have them remind you because we do this even with like disease outbreak investigations relating to food. And if you can't remember who you've been in contact with, try remembering what you ate. So we, we have lots of tips that help us kind of get that out of somebody's memory. Yeah, I guess you could even, hey, go check your text messages and whatnot and see who you were right. talking to. All right. So I, I think the most interesting version of this where you guys have to do some investigating happened, I think. I want to say about two weeks ago, and it was somebody out of the county that ended up at a funeral in Onalaska and then ate at, I think, a Red Lobster in La Crosse and, yep, or in right. Onalaska as well. In so Onalaska, yep. Was that, was that the most significant case where you're like, oh, no, this person had symptoms, they were out and about, and now we got to figure out, you know, who might have, you know, they've been in, is that, or have you had a more significant one? You know, so what made that one different was that that was one where we, they were in a location where we couldn't determine who they were in contact with. So that was where we had to notify the public. And we will do that again when we um, find out that someone has been symptomatic. In that case, the person was from outside of our county, but they had been in our county and it was the day before they developed symptoms. So we were being extra cautious. But we also know that now, which is different than then, is that we have community spread. So we So we do remind people to think about when they're going out and about to just plan for the fact that they may come in contact with it and hence the need to be social distancing, to be keeping six feet away, to be only doing essential travel, only doing essential trips for essential items with essential people, so not your whole household, and then also thinking about not not touching your face until you can wash your hands, not eating after being at a store until you can wash your hands. Yeah, I know. I got a uh, text message. So going to the grocery store, you're trying to do these trips alone because there's no reason to bring, you know, your your wife or your husband or your kids to the grocery store because you can just take the list and then you're not you're just not putting that many more people at risk. But I did get a, a, a text message today of a, my friend went to the grocery store and oh, here's a, someone else in the parking lot with a family of five and they're loading up. So and it's just yeah, like, come we, on, yeah, people. we just want to remember we do not want to be you know we do not want to be exposing our kids and others to to this particular virus. This, these these germs are out there and and they can't stop touching their hands and face as easy as an adult can, um, even having your spouse with you. Those are just unnecessary and, frankly, dangerous right now. And so you know, we just want people to just take one person, and, it, and if somebody in the household has symptoms, that person, whether they think it's COVID or not, should not be going um, outside of the house. So send the other person or someone else who can go get those groceries for you um, and, your, and your medications and don't take the whole family. So you had this at least one case of community spread, and it happened last week. You, you, so you do your questions with that person, your your hour long or or longer conversation with them, and you come to the conclusion that you can't is that you couldn't figure out where they came from, so they just contracted it somewhere. 
That's right. So if we can't determine a source, uh, again, by they traveled outside of the county to a state or another location, which, again, is much more rare now than previously with the stay-at-home order, and then also if they don't have a contact with someone who we know has a positive COVID-19 lab result, then, yep, we believe they picked it up somewhere, and, and that's the community spread piece. And part of the problem here with – I don't know if it's – yeah, it's kind of a problem. Part of, part of the, the factor in community spread – is that we we can't just go testing everybody willy-nilly. How much easier would this whole thing to be to get on top of if we could just test everyone and not have to think about oh no, we have to worry about like how, you know, how many swabs we have, how many mediums we have to transport the swabs to mail. You know, like if if you had unlimited testing, how much easier would this be? You know, again, I think this is really frustrating to our public that, you know, people especially that have symptoms can't find out if they have COVID or if it's influenza or something else. So it's it's difficult, and I think it would be a lot easier for all of us if there was additional testing. I don't know that every single person needs to get it, but it would help us understand a lot more about who ha- how many people have this in our community and making sure that, you know, we can stay home. But that's why without that testing, the blanket order of you need to be home because the more that we are all home, the, the better off we all are. And I'll just say from the health department standpoint, even though we're an essential service, we're trying to push our health department staff home as well. I, if I might be working virtually next week. So um, we're really trying hard to, to lead by example. It's just critical right now. Yeah, I think you could do those press conferences, you know, virtually too. And Drew Kelly, who goes to our press, the press conference for us, he's working at home too. We don't even bring him back into the studio. We're like, you're going to that press conference? You stay home, man. Um, but you guys take some precautions in letting the media into the, the press conference. Can you just explain that a little bit? So what we do is we have an active monitoring station. So when you come into our building, which, again, our building is not open to the public, but for those that are coming in for the media conference, at least until we get it virtual, which we're working on, they come in and they need to report any symptoms that they have. There's somebody who greets them there that's wearing a mask. And they have to talk about if they have any symptoms, they go down a checklist, and then they get their temperature taken. And only after they clear from that process, which we call active monitoring, is when they would be allowed to come into the building. So prior to that, um, you know, if they have any symptoms at all, we don't allow them in. And that's really just because we, we also have to limit community spread or limit the spread of this virus within our own building. Okay, so I'll just tell you this. So I get up in the morning, I, I'm coughing a lot because that's just, I think it's allergies. But if I come to your meeting and you go, hey, do you have, would you kick me out? Because I'm like, yeah, I do cough a lot and, you know, or, or is that pretty normal and you would still let me in? No, it's most likely that we would not let you in. We might have a conversation about that. And we do have some individuals who have in our daily monitoring of staff even who have um, some of these symptoms like had a chronic cough for, you know, two months. And so we touch base with them. We talk about that. But it's most likely that someone from the public, if they have that, we're, we're probably not going to let them in. Again, it's because we have to protect our own workers. If we aren't here to support the community during this time, um, that's really concerning to us. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I saw a post from a, a group in, in the cross. It's, you know, not a huge group, but just about, hey, can we start relaxing these efforts? And this was a couple of days ago. This is before, you know, the 100,000 deaths thing came up uh, yesterday at, at the, you know, the, the national press conference. But yep. the idea that we could start to, we, we have 19 cases, we're under 20. It's kind of been steady that way. We don't see a big jump. We saw, I think we've seen a jump of five once in La Crosse County. You know, Easter's coming up. We want, it's, we want to get outside. We want to play basketball in the basketball courts. Can we start relaxing this? 
and and the post said, you know, maybe groups of 25 could get together. And I just want to like go and shake the person that made that post because I'm like, no, we're doing a good job. We're we're keeping it steady at you know under 20 at this point. And I'm sure it'll jump to 20 in the next couple of days. But I don't know. Does that infuriate you when you when you hear stuff like that from from anyone, let alone a let a, a group that a lot of people follow? You know, it takes a lot to infuriate me, but I would say, you know, it is it is the understanding that prevention works, and many people who don't see that have a hard time justifying their continued change of behavior. So I understand that from a human behavior level, but if you knew somebody who had passed away from this, which I do in the state of Wisconsin, then it's more real to you and you would take it more seriously. So you have to take it from others, including myself, that it is not a time for us to be relaxing this. I get just as just as many people, um, you know, Easter is coming up and we want to be outside with spring. We have to be really careful. This is a very this is a very unique situation. And if we don't continue to, to hold the line here with the number of cases, we're doing great work. If we let that slip and slide, we're going to be in trouble. So I think we need to stay the course. Yeah. And, and my, my idea was like, hey, we're doing we're doing a pretty good job, at least, you know, keeping it under under 20. All right. I think that's all I have, Jen. Thanks. And we'll hear from you again on Friday, huh? 2.30 Friday on the Facebook page. Yep, you bet. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. We got to hit news. We'll be back after this. I'm with him. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. If you want to get in here, I'm having a couple conversations on the Sugarloaf Four Talking Text Line. Apparently, it's Tom and Kim's 25th anniversary. Hopefully, they're social distancing, but together. They said they're uh, Tom said he's they're not a couple of April Fools after all. Uh. Sam was texting in, just kind of wondering, uh, with the fact that if you're out shopping, you know, kind of try to do it alone. But Sam texts in, what about if you have young children? Well, obviously, you can't just leave your kids home alone. So if you got to go shopping with your young kids, wipe down the cart really well, throw the kids in the cart or set them in there gently, and do your shopping. And then when you're done, wash your hands or disinfect your hands, and then disinfect the kids' hands after that. And then throw them in the car, right? I'm throwing kids. That's what I'm doing. Um, somebody sent me a, a post that said, I don't know if this is real. So Mark Mark texted me this. We are no uh, from Menards. We are no longer able to allow children under the age of 16 nor pets in the store due to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, it could be fake news. I'm not sure. They say service dogs are welcome. Man, I didn't know you could bring your pets before. Uh, if you look under 16, they're going to ask for an ID. Um, so Menards may be banning kids under 16. If somebody wants to uh, confirm that, I just got that text. I'm not able to make a phone call to ask Menards that. Maybe I'll run over there after the show and do some shopping. I'll and- do some I'll do some <laughs> searching on the World Wide Web. I'll see if Menards put anything out. Okay, yeah, thanks, Grant. Um uh, all right, so uh, along with uh, social distancing, a La Crescent Police Department posted a picture of people playing basketball at the park. They said uh, they've been getting complaints. I'm not going to read the, the, whole, the whole post here on their Facebook page, but uh, I think a lot of police departments are getting this. Even Sean Kudron, the police chief in La Crosse, said they were getting it a little bit. Just complaints about people essentially tattling on others, not social distancing. So 
The La Crescent Police Department says uh, they've noticed kids playing outdoor basketball at the Old Hickory Park. They also noted that whoever tattled on these kids playing basketball, that they were lacrosse kids, not La Crescent kids. But, uh, yeah, and I, I, I say tattle, but you probably should try to break stuff up like that or tell the police so they can do it in a reasonable fashion. I think police are going to be better at handling that than, um, you know, grandma with her broomstick. Actually, grandma with her broomstick might be uh, perfect at getting kids to break up basketball games and, and uh, essentially social activities amongst children. This is why you leave your kids at home. And you don't bring them shopping as well because they're all congregating with other kids because you can't pay attention to them 24-7, I'm sure. Um, along the same lines, Mendota Heights Police Department posted an interesting social distancing post kind of along the same lines with the uh, people telling the police department, hey, these they're, they're congregating. So, And they said it was a busy night. Uh, this was posted yesterday morning. They said it was a busy night. A uh, lot of reports of kids, groups of kids playing together. We're out in the parks and neighborhoods reminding everyone of social distancing. I think the police are taking the uh, the stance where they're, they're trying to relay to whoever is in these groups, hey, go home, and as opposed to being forceful, I'm hoping anyway. But as far as I, uh, the people I've talked to, they're, they're doing this in a reasonable manner as opposed to, uh, you know, the nightsticks and throwing kids, throwing people on the ground. That's not happening. But uh, some have voiced concerns that Mendota Heights Police Department continues. Some have voiced concerns that kids in different neighborhoods are not practicing social distancing. So they have a few tips. Here are a few things you can tell those children. So instead of just calling the police and having them do this, maybe the Mendota Heights Police Department is suggesting you do this on your own. Uh, The children who are doing shelter in place correctly but still sad because they can't join group play. So here's what you tell those kids that are doing everything properly. But maybe they're, you know, they see their friends or hear their friends are out and about playing together. And they're like, come on. Number one, Mendota Heights Police Department. You don't know their life. The group of people you see could all be in the same household. Perhaps cousins have moved in last week because parents work shift work, right? You don't know the family lifestyle. So maybe they've, they've had to adjust. Uh, number two, if they are not in the same household, the parents of those kids are idiots. And since you can't breed donkeys and expect racehorses, those kids are probably going to grow up to be idiots too, and you don't need those kinds of people in your life. Again, Mendota Heights Police Department Facebook page, that's the number two suggestion. If they are not in the same household, the parents of those kids are idiots, and since you can't breed donkeys and expect racehorses, those kids are probably going to grow up to be idiots too, and you don't need those people in your life. Number three Suggestion by the Mendota Heights Police Department when it comes to telling your kids that are properly social distancing, stop crying, stop that crying before I give you something to cry about. (laughs) Okay, so threatening your children, telling your children that the other children are idiots. And uh, and also that maybe you don't understand their lifestyle. So uh, a couple of interesting suggestions by the Mendota Heights Police Department. If you have suggestions that you want to you want to give to to me and Grant. Uh, text the Sugarloaf Talk, uh, Sugarloaf Four Talk and Text Line six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Yeah, that that was that was a little blunt. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll get some pushback from that. I love that number one. The first suggestion was like the most tolerant sentiment ever. Like you don't know those kids' lives. Like maybe they're being forced to live together because their parents are really up against it right now. Like come on, kids. And then the next two, they like it could be. Uh, like they're just distinct opposites, which I think is funny. Yeah, I, I, I get what the what the joke is here, 
But most people aren't going to take that as a joke. And if you say you don't need people like that in your life, then people can say, well, are you saying those people should die? <laughs> so, like, this is the perfect Facebook post to be taken out of context. Yeah, but. The, definitely the uh, – what are we – we're too sensitive to some of this stuff. And obviously you're not telling your kids that, but the Mendota Police Department believes – Mendota Heights Police Department probably believes adults are reading this thing and adults can look at that and go, yeah, that would be funny if I told my kids that. But, um, yeah, they're not doing that. But, yeah, I have been, I have been seeing uh, different social media posts kind of essentially tattling on – uh, you know, groups of people congregating. I think, t- did you hear about this one, Grant? Like, t- I think it was two days ago. Um, oh, we did, we did talk about this. The, a bunch of cars were parked along Bliss Road. And yeah. I saw some, some posts. And then when I went back the next day to look at those posts, because I was going to call the police department about it, uh, that post disappeared. So I kind of wonder if that was fake news. If somebody took an old picture of a bunch of cars parked along Bliss Road or wherever it was at the bottom of the hill there and, uh, and posted it as if it were new information. But um, so I don't know if you found anything on Menards, but yeah, uh, somebody did text me and said, they just walked into Menards. There are no signs to say no kids under 16 or, and no pets. So there are signs. There are. Okay. So Menards has uh, something on their Facebook or on their uh, webpage. Well, not anything that Menards put out. I guess that Menards has been going at it with the attorney general in Michigan. Uh, the, the attorney general up there has been warning Menards that they're enticing people to enter their stores, which like is just normal, right? Like you advertise, you want people to come, but I guess I I didn't find exactly like if there was a promotion or a sale specifically that the attorney general was mad about, but they warned Menards twice. And earlier today it was announced. They're not going to allow kids in. I found the news release from a Springfield Menards down in Illinois, but I'm assuming our texter who just helped us out and said, yeah, they have signs up. I'm assuming they're at the Menards in lacrosse, unless we have, no, like I'm listeners thinking, texting from, you know, around the Midwest, but I'm thinking it must be company wide. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody just, yeah. Random sign. I don't know where Mark got that picture. It looks like, you know, maybe he took it, but I'm, I'm guessing he found it on, on uh, social media, but somebody else literally just texted us and said they just walked into Menards and I'm assuming they got a 608 number. So I'm assuming that they walked into the Onalaska or lacrosse Menards and didn't see any signs. So, um, but interesting if Menards is banning 16 kids, uh, 15 and under somewhere in the United States. That must have happened somewhere. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. What what do we got? Five, four, five. Uh, moving on to Marquette University Law School put out their poll today. And um, Grant, I just sent you these. So I don't You probably haven't studied the numbers all that well. But just looking at a lot of I, I guess we can break down some of these in, in terms of the coronavirus and where people stand. And uh, where is the, the – okay, here it is. The poll was conducted March 24th to 29th, again, Marquette University Law School poll. Its sample includes 813 registered voters in Wisconsin, interviewed by cell phone or landline. The margin for error is plus or minus 4%. So uh, automatically I'm always, I'm always kind of like so, – so, Grant, if somebody calls your cell phone and you don't recognize the number, are you answering – um, that's an interesting question. I try, like if I get spam calls, I try to block them. So then if they call again, like my phone just normally just hangs up on it. I am typically, if I'm at home and I get a call from a random number, I'll answer it. I might not stay on the line very long. Like most spam calls these days are just recorded. So I just hang up, but yeah. I got a call last week, somebody telling me to vote and was like, well, do you know how to request an absentee ballot? And I talked to them for probably 60 seconds and then and then wrapped it up so i will answer uh the phone i know a lot of people who just wouldn't because most people if they're calling and it's important they'll leave a message right so i know that's a lot of people's first instinct if they yeah. see a number that 
they don't recognize. But I'll answer. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think maybe more people are willing to answer in the last two weeks, being they have nothing better to do. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it's quarantine time. Oh, somebody's calling. I can talk to somebody. Uh, because yeah, we uh, typically I don't feel like people talk on the phone all that much. So when uh, when we're doing these polls over landline and cell phone, and you get a funky number. Uh, a, you you can imagine who has a landline still, and then B, like I, I feel like most of people was are just caller ID on their cell phone, and I'm not going to answer this, but uh, they got 813 of these fools from the Marquette University Law School poll to, to answer their questions. So they and they, it seems like they were on the line for kind of a while. I don't know. They probably b- burned through these questions, but uh, in terms of the the poll itself, it, it kind of it obviously hovers around the pandemic. So to close schools and businesses, Governor Evers ordered to close schools and businesses, 86% approved. Uh, the cash payments that are doled out, 51% approve of that. That was a little surprising. Uh, cash payments uh, in, t- in terms of the pandemic. I don't know if that's the $1,200 check. It didn't really, I didn't look at it too closely, but you know, hey, are, are you approving of getting free free money essentially? Why wouldn't any, Why would anyone be opposed to that? But 51% were approving of that, 28% somewhat approve. And uh, we're down to like nine and six percent in the disapproval category. But here's here's one: Governor Evers' handling of the virus. So just not just taking it all in. Seventy seventy six percent of people approve of Governor Evers' handling of this virus, and only seventeen percent disapprove. So that's that was pretty interesting. And uh, I'm trying to find so. And then they do it along. They ask these people along party lines. You know, where do you where do you stand as a as a political party? And with that, how Governor Evers has handled the virus. So among Republicans, it's it's in the 60s, 68 and 63 percent people that lean Republican, 68 percent. And then among Democrats, a Democrat, straight up Democrat, 89 percent approve of his of his handling of it. So along along party lines, mostly approvals here of, of Governor Evers handling. Do you find that surprising at all, Grant? I, I mean, in a time of crisis like this, I think if a if a politician is doing a good job, I think people are a little bit less cognizant of of political party, right? Okay. Because I think closing schools and closing businesses that's not really a a partisan issue, or at least it shouldn't be. So when the only decisions that Evers is making right now are nonpartisan, it should be easy to get nonpartisan or bipartisan support, right? Like that's the way I would look at it. Okay, so let's go to Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Do I have where are the numbers? Okay. 51% approve, 46% disapprove. That seems pretty typical, right? Yeah, that that's not surprising. And then now let's break it down by party. Whether or not Donald Trump has handled the coronavirus epidemic uh you know well, among the Republicans, 98% of Republicans approve of how he's handled it, which is a huge number. So if you want to just compare it to, to Evers, 89% of Democrats approved of Evers. And 63% of Republicans approved of how Evers has handled the pandemic. Um, so with Trump, 88% and 90% of those leaning Republican or are Republican approve of how Donald Trump has handled it. Independence right in the middle. So 59% say Donald Trump has handled it well. And uh, independence with Governor Evers, 74%. So And then leaning Democrat or Democrats themselves, how Donald Trump has handled the pandemic Democrats who just straight up Democrats, 11% say they approve of how he handled it. And people who are leaning Democrat, 16%. So I thought that was, that is a huge swing. And and very, I, I don't know if it's very, I'm more surprised by the Evers poll versus the, the Donald Trump poll. How about you, Grant? Yeah, I, 
approval is interesting at this time. Like Tony Evers, I think all these decisions have been rather bipartisan. With Donald Trump, I think looking back at this entire saga when it's done, we'll probably tell the whole story because I think to start, the preparation and the groundwork or lack thereof that was laid by Trump was terrible. Like we got caught flat-footed. I think a lot of people agree on that. What he does in phase two and phase three, I think people's opinions might change, right? Like well, maybe he got off to a terrible start, but like yesterday's press conference, I it sounded pretty promising to me the well, way he was handling it. So I, I think it, it'll kind of ebb and flow with Donald Trump. I would say Donald Trump is like that terrible son a parent has that never does anything unless you ask them five or seven times. Sure. Hey, take out the garbage. The garbage never gets taken out. Hey, empty the dishwasher. I'm just going through chores that I've had to do as a kid. <laughs> hey, mow the lawn. It never gets done. And and it's been it's been a, a years. The kid never does anything, and then all of a sudden, you come home one day from work, and the garbage is taken out. The simplest of tasks. The garbage is taken out. Nobody asks, and the son is is there, and you know he did it, and you're like, wow. Un, and he gets praise, and maybe maybe some some treats or some. He gets taken, you know. I don't I don't know. He prodigal gets some, prodigal son type situation. Some kind of a reward. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And so the expectations for how Donald Trump is handling, he set the bar so low that yesterday when he just goes, "Hey, I'm just gonna pass off. Uh, you, you know, I'm gonna have uh, my experts answer this question. I'm gonna have my experts answer this question. I'm gonna have Mike Pence answer that question." Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's probably what you should have been doing all the whole time. Great job. Donald Trump, you did such a good job. But, oh, wait, every day before that, you were, you know, not taking out the garbage and not mowing the lawn until you were asked 75 times. So, um, all right. So we're going to take, I think, another quick break, and we'll be back to wrap up right here on Wisdom. All right. Welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. Just a couple minutes left here. On the show, I'm going to break down the numbers real quick again in a minute. But Mark has been waiting patiently on the line. Mark, you're on Lacrosse Talk PM. Go ahead, man. You know, you guys, I, it kind of surprised me. You kind of had to do what you normally do. Accused Trump of being flat-footed. He was the first to put the travel ban on of any of the countries. All the rest were still allowing flights from China. He's the first one that stopped it. You had... Uh, the uh, previous administration that had to battle SARS, which we were lucky that virus didn't have a lot of legs to it. But what did they do to restock or get respirators or get all the other things set up for the next administration? So let's go back to them and put them underneath the magnifying glass that you guys are good at. And last but not least, New York refused. He offered New York 14,000 respirators a year ago. And because they didn't have enough money, they decided, no, we're going to think about it. So they could have had respirators in New York. But, you know, if you want to start throwing rocks at everybody, including Trump, which is always easy to do, throw the rocks back at the previous administration. And if we want to look at the states, what did the states do to get ready for this pandemic? All right. Thanks for the call, Mark. Um yeah, it's always easy to throw rocks at Donald Trump because he is a giant target to throw rocks at because he did handle this thing poorly. By the time he cut off travel from China, the, the disease was already here, and um, you could just go on and on. I mean, at one point, I think there were 15 cases, and he wasn't counting the cases from the, the ship that was, you know, the, the whatever, the cruise line. And he was like, oh, we got 15. Pretty soon it'll be two or three, and before you know it, we'll have zero. So, yeah, the dude handled it awful. And the idea that we're going to blame the past administration is the easiest thing to do for anyone who wants to, uh, you know, support Trump. You got to point to Obama, point to to anyone else. Um, yeah, it's just always funny the the way that works. Uh, 
Trump didn't do well, but look at Obama. So how many people go look up how many people died of SARS in the United States and 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 crying about New York not taking 14,000 ventilators a year ago because they didn't have the money to do it. Sounds like good bookkeeping by New York a year ago because there was no pandemic. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And New York is now getting throttled right now by the coronavirus. So, yeah, they would want 14,000 ventilators now. Of course, they're getting throttled. The death toll in New York in the last 72 hours is at 1,900. So that's that's what's happening in, in New York. And I have a couple of people in New York right now that I'm worried about. And I'm going to try to get them on the phone at some point. Um, maybe we'll do that Friday. So, yeah. I just like to use South Korea as an example. Like, that's what I've been doing. Like, South Korea did such a great job for a lot of the same reasons that America is struggling right now. Yeah, they have they have a little bit. I mean, it's always apples to oranges a little bit based on, you know, size, population. Of course. And, and, but South Korea ramped up the tests. And we don't even have tests. We talked to Jen today. They don't have materials for tests. We're turning, we're, we're being very stringent with tests, which is the, just the, it's mind boggling. How are we, how do we not have enough materials to, uh, to test everybody? Because if we did that, then we could start tackling this head on. All right, that's all the time we got. Keith Knutson, Viterbo political science professor, in here with us tomorrow. Thanks a lot, guys.